I've, I've just got to say, there's something uh, happening on this day. At the nine o'clock service, I found myself being overwhelmed, especially as uh, Damon sang the solo that he sang for us just a moment ago. And, and then there was something about the prayers and all the rest of the service. And I, that same sense of the Spirit's presence has carried over here to the South Campus, the, the beauty of, of Kate's prayer. I, when, when Kate prays, I just have this sense that she's on a direct connection with heaven. There's something about the power of her words. Uh, when, when, I, when, when, I hear, when I hear Paul Bomber stand up and speak, it almost doesn't matter what he says. He's just so regal in the way he brings the word. And yet, and yet there's some deep wisdom in them too. And Damien soul this morning just, just Thank you, my brother. That was just too beautiful. You could thank him again if you'd like to. It's just amazing. And then I hope you noticed the, the beauty of the liturgy this morning, the way that Psalm 27 that we're going to get into here in a few moments just was woven through everything we, we did. It's as though Ron Jenkins is a genius. I just can't, I just can't imagine uh, the kind of skill it takes to work all that in together and I, I, sometimes I, I think all we have to do is what we've just done, and then I can just not preach, and we can go home early. Uh, um, by the way, I said that at 9 o'clock, and they clapped. Uh, and I went ahead and preached, uh, as it were. Uh, I just have this, this beautiful experience every Sunday here at First Community, to, to be with you all, to have this sense of the Spirit uh, in and among us and moving in, in new and exciting ways. And I, I just wanted to take a moment to say that and how much I appreciate uh, this opportunity to share with you as, as your pastor. Let's take a moment before we dive into this word and ask, God's, ask for God's guidance as we do. Good and gracious God, open our hearts and minds to the reception of this word. Give us the courage that we need as we wait upon you so that we can go out into the world without fear, bringing hope and love wherever we are found. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I was at Camp Akita, uh, where I'd been asked to come and talk about the theology of First Community Church to help our, our summer camp staff, young adults ages oh, 19 to 23 or so, understand the theology of this great church. And I essentially gave a, what I would call a college-level lecture on who we are at First Community and the kinds of things that we, we uh, kind of uh, approach that we take to, to Scripture, to church to understand how God works within us and within the world, that sort of thing. Had a marvelous time. I might have gone a little too long. My wife told me afterwards, you went right past your ending and kept on going. <laughs> but at the end of, of my lecture, I, I handed out cards to the, to the young adults there and said, I want you to write any question you might have for me. I think just about every one of them wrote a question down. I, I, I gathered up all the cards and reshuffled them so no one would know who, who would ask which, which question. And anonymously then I, I got into those, to the responses. And one of them asked, has there ever been a moment when you doubted God, when your faith was weak, or maybe even you lost your faith? In the back of my mind, I thought, there, there's a possible sermon topic, something about soul searching. Have you ever had to search deep in your soul to find faith? By the way, my answer to the question was yes. I won't tell you the whole story, and I'm going to save that for next week when we look at doubt and how doubt affects us in, in our faith. But it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a great experience for me to understand, to help the kids understand that, yeah, even preachers have doubts and worries and 
question and wonder about their faith. Well, a couple weeks went by, and I, I went to meet with the newest members of our church, Christy Glazer, hosted them in her home, and got to could know all of them much better and hear their stories and hear why they'd chosen our church as one that they wanted to belong to. And then I did the same thing, hand out cards and pens and said, any question you might have for me, just write it down and, and let me know. And then I reshuffled them again, and that same question came up. Have you as a pastor ever experienced doubts, or fears, worries? Have you ever lost your faith? I knew then that was a nudge from the Spirit to really take on this task, to take on this, this sermon topic, to invite you along with me to look at the Psalms, to ask these hard questions, which the Psalms do quite a bit, to ask, who am I? And whose am I? To, to wonder deeply what is my deepest desire? Now, maybe you, right at the moment, your deepest desire is a nice brunch later on. That's fine. But more than that, really look within and ask, what do I want more than anything else? I, I'm remembering a time when I was leading a worship service several years ago. I'd given the sermon, and in that church, they take communion at the end of the worship service. And in that congregation, the, the lay leaders of the church are the ones who come to the table and offer the prayers. It was a beautiful moment. Their names were Wayne and Laura. They'd been married for 60 years, both leaders in the church. They came walking down the center aisle together to get ready for the prayer at the table, hand in hand. Such a beautiful picture. They came up to the table and gave the prayers. Then the communion was served. When the service was over, they gave another prayer. And then they walked around the side of the table and came back together right there in the center aisle. And again, in hand in hand, 60 years of marriage, still strong physically, deeply in love, they walked out the door. I, I, I said to the congregation, it was time for the benediction. I said, I, I got a little sermonette for you. I can't let this, this moment go by. Did you see Wayne and Laura holding hands, I said. What is our deepest desire? but to have someone whose hand you can hold, to have someone who you love, to have someone you can give not just your hand, but your heart to. What more do we want in this world? It's those sort of desires that I want, I want us to consider and, and wonder about as we, as we dive in openness, openly and honestly into this series of sermons, especially into the book of Psalms. It, it means that we get to face our fears to name our doubts. But the book of Psalms is perhaps the best place to do this. It begins and ends with praise of God, Psalm 1 and Psalm 150, bookend, the collection of these beautiful ancient poems of wisdom. But in between you'll find every human emotion, love and fear, doubt and anger, sorrow and rage, grief and joy, sadness, everything else, everything you can imagine is found in the pages of these Psalms. In fact, I'd like you to do something with me, if you would. For the next 50 days, would you read three psalms a day? Maybe first thing in the morning, maybe at noon or at night, whenever it works for you. I would love for us to be in prayer together. The, the book of psalms is ca often called the prayer book of the church. This would be a way for you and I as pastor and parishioner to really share in these psalms. And so if you would make that, that commitment, that promise, I won't call you up and check on it, but just... Just if you would, three psalms a day, and then in 50 days, we'll have read the entire book of psalms. It won't take you but 10, maybe 15 minutes to do so. And see, because when we face our fear and our doubt, we open our minds, our hearts, our souls even, to the very Spirit of God, to the very work of God within us. And so Psalm 27 begins today, the Lord is my light 
and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's a beautiful statement of faith, a word of trust. It's almost, it's almost sort of spoken like a, like a, a New Year's resolution. It's as though he sat down on the first day of the New Year and said, God is my light, God's my salvation. I'm not going to be afraid this year. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to take on whatever task I need to. I'm going to move on forward. Now, unlike a New Year's resolution, resolution, it's kind of grounded in a serious faith. But then in the middle of the psalm, we get a hint that there's something going on in this one's life. Maybe you remember it as we read it a moment ago. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they're breathing out violence. What's the issue? Who's attacking him? Well, we don't know. Is he a soldier on the field of battle? We don't know. Is he somebody who's struggling within his community or maybe his family where there's, there's the adversaries or people that are close to him? Well, we don't know. What we know is something's happening. And we can see in between the lines that his faith might be overwhelmed by fear. And in fact, note this. The opposite or the strongest enemy of faith is not so much doubt as it is fear. Next week, we'll talk about how faith and doubt often walk hand in hand in our faith lives, but fear can come in and destroy it, can take us away from who we are and who God wants us and calls us to be. Maybe you've seen that happen in your own life. I've, I've seen it in mine, for sure. I remember an instance when I was 10 years old. It was 1969. My dad, who was a preacher, had been invited by his friend Jim Parms, another preacher, to do a preacher exchange. You know, you've seen that before, where one preacher preaches at the other church, and then he comes back the next week and preaches at, at, at his friend's church. Well, my dad's friend, Jim Parms, was a pastor in, in what is now called South Central L.A. It was an African-American church. My dad was in East L.A. in an all-white church. And if you remember, if you were around back then, or maybe if you've read about it in, in your history books, you might recall there were some serious riots called the Watts Riots in the mid-1960s. African-Americans were severely oppressed in Southern California, especially within Los Angeles. There were tremendous problems and a great deal of tension. Even four years after those riots, there was quite a bit of tension in the city. And so my dad and his friend Jim said, let's do a preacher exchange. You come preach for me, I'll come preach for you, and perhaps we'll build a tiny bridge and help some folks face the tensions and the difficulties and to begin some conversations. And so they did. Jim came and preached at my dad's church, and then the next week, my dad and all of us in the family rode together over to his church in South Central. I noticed, though, on the way over that my dad was really nervous. He was gripping the steering wheel very tightly. And I also saw that he had a manuscript in his hand, printed notes. My dad never preached from a manuscript. My dad could get up in the pulpit and deliver a, a great sermon without looking at a single note. He could go on for 45 or 50 minutes. Be glad that I didn't inherit everything from my dad, by the way. <laughs> but here on this day, he had a manuscript. He was clearly nervous. Usually he was talking and funny in the morning, but no, he was uptight and nervous. He got up in the pulpit, and I could see as he began to, to give his sermon that he was shaking. We were ushered in and sitting on the front row. Everyone there was wonderful to us, but my dad, I could see as he had his notes that his hand was quivering. He was clearly nervous, and then he began to do something that he never did. He began reading his sermon, word for word. Well, there was a lady sitting right here in the front row, right in front of the pulpit, who said out loud, oh, Lord Jesus, this boy's come to read to us. <laughs> My dad stopped, and he looked at her, and he went back to reading his sermon, and she said, oh, Lord Jesus, this boy's afraid. Help him, Lord. 
and he looked at her again and he went back to reading and she said, oh my Lord, we need to hear a sermon, not a lecture. What's this boy going to do? And finally my dad took his notes and he threw them off the, the pulpit. He looked right at her and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I've come to preach to you about the love of Jesus and the, and the justice of God for all of humankind. And she said, thank you, Lord. He's finally going to preach. <laughs> and he did. And he talked about the scourge of racism. He talked about the need for our world to find ways to be in communication, to indeed allow the words of the Bible for justice to be given to all. It was fear that was keeping him from giving that sermon. When he got through the fear, he was able to deliver a word, one that I will never forget. I told that story because I know fear is an ever-present reality for us. Whether afraid of the future of our, for our country, or afraid for our families, or worried about our church, fear can destroy. Fear can, can pull us down, can dominate, can ruin and ravage the very soul that God wants to uplift. That's why we listen to the ancient words of Scripture. Walter Brueggemann, a brilliant scholar, says, the words with which we praise God shape the world in which we live. The words with which we praise God shape the world within which we live. This worship service today is an invitation to shape your world, to let these words, these ancient words of Scripture speak not as a word from the past, but a word for this day and for tomorrow. They shape the world that we live in. And so this morning, we will listen carefully. <clears throat> Julie and I spent a few days uh, last week with our friends Doug and Kathy at their lake house in, in Washington State, just about an hour and a half north of, of Portland, Oregon. My buddy Doug is, a, is an Episcopalian priest and an extremely bright guy. And as you can imagine, he being a priest and me being a pastor, we got into conversation a lot about church and all. And one night we were sitting out on the, on the deck looking over the lake. The sun was setting. It was about quarter to 10 or so. It was up in the north. The sun stays up late, you know. And we just were having this great conversation about the church. And all of a sudden, Doug said, we must assume the people joining our churches are looking for God. I, that sounds pretty obvious. Yeah, it's kind of one of those, well, of course. But it just, it just hit me like, a, like, like an amazing a lightning bolt of insight. I, I went in and got, got my computer out and sent myself an email. We must assume that people joining our churches are looking for God. May, may I confess that all, all of my career as a theologically progressive pastor, as one who takes the words of the, of the Bible seriously, not literally, I've been very good at telling you what I'm against. I've been very good at saying, oh no, we don't look at the Bible like that. Oh, no, 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 we're, we're much more open than this. Oh, we don't, we're, no, we're against that and that and this other thing over here too. All the while wondering, what is it I'm for? What am I calling you toward? I think that's why Doug's insight hit me so strong. My simple call as a pastor is to lead you to a relationship with God. Because I know the exact way, no, I, I, half the time I'm walking in the dark too. But it's my call as a pastor to light one of these candles, to carry it before you, and invite all of us together on a search as we long for the spirit and the presence of the loving God who created us as we are and calls us to be more 
than we can even imagine. Too often, fear has kept preachers like me from doing what we're called to do, and frankly, that is scary. But a little bit of passion goes a long way to push, push aside fear. My buddy Mike Iaconelli is in the resurrection now, but he was a, a great leader, a brilliant preacher, a, just, a, just a, one of the smartest guys I've, I've ever been around. He once gave a talk at a youth minister's convention titled, Getting Fired for the Glory of God. <laughs> it was a great speech. Now, I was no longer working as a youth minister, but it, there's, the speech was happening in San Diego where I was living, so I went to hear him give it, and it was just wonderful. He got up, there were 2,000 youth workers, men and women from all over the country, he got up and said, I'm I'm tired of hearing you people whine. You're whining about how mean your senior minister is or how hard the parents are on you. The church board has too many demands. You're whining and whining and whining. He said, I'm tired of it. Your job is to get close to Jesus and to help other people get close to Jesus. And I'll tell you this, he said, if you don't like that and if your church doesn't like it, you might get tossed out. You might lose your job. Get fired for the glory of God. He said, because when you end up on the street, you know who's going to be there with you? He said, Jesus. See, our, my, my calling as a pastor is to bring us as close as possible into the presence of God, to listen to the teachings of Jesus, to look at his life and see in it a model for the way we're called to live with each other. Mike's a bit hyperbolic. He's, he's a bit crazy. I'm sure he's in heaven right now giving Jesus a lecture too. But he's right. We can't worry we can't worry about getting close to God. It's a matter of just taking the steps to do so. So I know, I, I know, I know now that my first calling is to seek intimacy with God and to invite you on the same path. Everything else we do, yes, oh, we'll still pay attention to the finances, we'll still pay careful attention to the business of the church. All of that matters. This church is very good at paying attention to those kinds of things. And, and, We'll ask the Spirit of God to be present in every one of those conversations. Is this easy? It is not. In fact, it wakes me up at 3 a.m. all the time, especially on Saturday nights. But the words of our psalmist make it clear. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. If you remember nothing else I said today, remember those words from the end of Psalm 27. Wait, be strong, take courage. That's the formula for the beginning of soul searching. Wait, be strong, take courage. Think for a moment every place where those words apply. Your work, your home, your family, the relationships with the people you care for the most, school. Think for a moment of how that singular word could turn your life around. Now, let's be honest. It's not easy. In fact, it can be downright frightening. And there may be moments when you'll find, as I have, and maybe some of you have already, when your faith is weak, when you wonder even if there is anything beyond this life. My wife Julie experienced that. I have her permission to share this story. Back in 1986, we were living in Tennessee. I was in seminary when Julie's brother Steve called. 
their mom had gone into a coma. She was diabetic and because of the diabetes had to have her, one of her legs amputated below the knee. The surgery didn't go well and she'd slipped into a coma. Things look bad, Steve said. Can you come out here? The next day we were on a plane. We flew out to Oregon, drove over to Eastern Oregon where her family was waiting in a hospital where her mom was nearby in a room connected to life support. The, do the doctors brought us into a small private room and had a conversation about what to do next. It was a hard, a hard one. Maybe some of you have had that kind of a conversation before. What are we going to do? Are we going to disconnect life support? How will we do this? How can we do this? There was some anger, frustration, tears, and finally the decision was made. All four of her children agreed. Julie's three brothers are amazing men. They've grown into just fine, fine examples of the kind of persons you'd want to be related to. But none of them could go into the room with their mom except Julie. She went in as the doctor and the nurse came in and the various steps were followed. And you could see her mother's heartbeat slow down. Her breathing began to waver. There was a brief squeeze of Julie's hand and then her mom was gone. Three days later at her graveside, Julie was certain as the funeral ended that she would get a sign that some, somehow she'd hear from her mother. A word would appear in her mind or there'd be a sense or a, a breeze or something, some sort of sign saying, it's okay, I'm in the resurrection. Please don't be afraid. Something like that would happen. And if it didn't happen that day, then it would come the next few days or weeks. And it didn't. Months passed, and Julie was still waiting, waiting, and then years. Finally, Julie said to herself and no one else, there must not be a God. There must not be an afterlife. She lost her faith. Now, she still loved church. She, go, she went to church all the time. She sang the hymns, loved the fellowship, loved the people, of course. But she decided her, really, her only goal in life was to, to love her sons, to love her husband, and give herself to that, and that would be enough. But belief in God, no, it was gone. So Nate was born in 1990, then Stephen came along five years later, and here's these two little boys and her crazy husband, and she's just loving them and doing all she can. Now, she never talked about her mother, by the way, never said a word to either one of those boys, never showed them a photograph, nothing, just she'd kind of pushed that away from her life said nothing at all to Nate or Stephen about what their grandmother was like. Didn't bring it up at all. They had a couple other grandmothers out in California, and that was enough for them, and she didn't talk to them at all about her mom. And then one day, she picked up Nate at the church, at the preschool at, where he was, put him in the back seat, strapped him into the car seat, handed him a transformer. You remember transformer toys? Uh, uh, little, little, little robot things that you could turn into cars or vice versa. I don't remember how it worked, but Nate loved those things. and It was a way to keep him busy on a car ride. And he's in the back and he's just playing with this. And Julie gets onto Johnson Ferry Road driving northwest in Atlanta towards our home in East Cobb County. When, when Nate looks up at her and says, hey, mommy, your mom wants you to know she loves you and she's okay. Julie had to pull the car off to the side of the road. It was a Home Depot parking lot. She remembers it. And she sat there and she wept and she wept. And through her tears, she said, Nate, what did you say? Uh, your mommy is, is fine and she wants you to know she loves you. 
Finally, Nate said, Mommy, why are you crying? I'm hungry. Can we go home? (laughs) Now, Julie can't prove to you that that story happened. I can't prove to you that it's a sign of the presence of God. But what it is for me is a simple statement of the psalm we've heard. Wait. Be strong. Take courage. And it will be enough. It will be enough.